Good morning. It's good to be with you today again, and sure, thank you for your coming today. And for those of you that are joining us online, we especially want to thank you for tuning in, and we trust that our time together will be real profitable for you, as it has been so far, and we'll continue through our time together. I have a couple of images I'd like to show you. Uh, this is actually an artist's depiction of the anointing of the first high priest of Israel, Aaron, who was Moses' brother. After Israel had been delivered from Egypt, and um, as they went on into the journey towards the Promised Land, God instituted the law, and part of that law, of course, was the tabernacle system, and Aaron served as the high priest, and he was anointed with oil in terms of his new role and service. Another image I'd like to show you to keep in mind as we go into our sermon today, not only is this one, but also this photo of Mount Hebron. In Israel, they call it Mount Hebron or Hebron, but this particular mountain is actually a range. It's 30 miles in length. Most of it is in the modern state of Israel, or excuse me, modern state of Syria. Some of it is in Israel. It's the tallest mountain in Israel at 9,000 feet of elevation. It's snow-capped. It does have skiing. Israel has a ski lift there. And so that is Mount Hermon. And it's, um, it's up at the top of um, the, the country, at the very northern end uh, of the nation as it borders Syria. I want you to keep these two pictures in mind as we go through our passage a little bit later this morning. I, um, I like golfing, but I'm not very good, but I still go out. I try to go out two or three times a month in the warm season. And um, one of my favorite golf courses in Israel is actually in south of here in Forest, Virginia. Uh, my daughter and her family live there, and just down the road from where they live is Poplar Forest, the second home of Thomas Jefferson, and adjacent to that property is the Poplar Forest Golf Course. It's a public golf course. And um, almost every time that we're there, I go over to that golf course early in the morning with a cup of uh, McDonald's coffee and just read the word. And there's a parking place there that I can overlook the golf course and the beautiful fairways. And then in the background are the Peaks of Otter. And it's just a lovely setting. But when I have time, I'll bring along the clubs and I will play a round of nine holes at the Poplar Force Golf Course. Lovely, lovely place. Pristine, beautiful. Last time I was there, however, I had golfed the first three holes and I was on number four, and it's a par four, but it's a long par four, so I know I had to put as much muscle into the drive as I possibly could. And that's decreasing as the years go on, I can tell that. But, um, I went ahead and hit it, and it was not bad. It wasn't the best, but it wasn't bad. It didn't stay on the fairway, but it just went a little bit to the left and some taller grass, which is called the rough, but not real tall grass, easy to find and easy to uh, hit out of again. And so after I put the club back in my bag, I picked it up, and I started walking towards finding my ball, and then the closer I got, I noticed that there was an odor. And... Um, the closer I continued to go towards my ball where I knew it was, the odor got stronger and stronger until where it was located, 
uh, it was putrid. It was terrible. And I knew exactly what it was. You see, there's a busy road over on the other side of the golf course. And in all likelihood, a deer had been injured, went into the trees that are on the, my left side, into that dense section of trees, and was there to die. And in, in this hot weather, you know what roadkill can smell like if it's not picked up by authorities, and this was not. And it was raunch. All that is to say, something very, very beautiful can be quickly marred by a bad smell. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the time together today, for each person that has been able to join us, whether here or online, and I pray that as we look into this passage of Scripture, that your Holy Spirit will do a work in our lives, not only for now, but for eternity's sake. So we ask his working. In Jesus' name, amen. What are some of your favorite fragrances? Things that bring pleasantness when you smell them. Well, for me, um, these are three of them. <laughs> I love going into a bakery and just smelling fresh made pastries or bread. I love the smell of fresh cut alfalfa. Uh, I'm an Iowa boy and used to bale hay as a kid for a farmer and just the, uh, just the smell of fresh cut alfalfa is uh, still pleasant to me. When we were raising our four kids, almost every Sunday, I would say at least 45 Sundays a year, if not more, we had the same Sunday dinner. Patty, before we'd go to church, she would take out this roast, roaster, she would put a roast in it, a beef roast, cover it with gravy, then put in potatoes, carrots, and onions, and season it, put it in the oven, and when we got home from church three and a half hours later, the house had an aroma that we could not wait to set the table and dig into. These are just a few. I enjoy fragrances as well. Lilacs are my favorite flower, and we have some at our present location, and Patty in the springtime will come out with little scissors and clip off some branches, put them in a vase, and the fragrance of the lilacs will permeate through the house, and I always enjoy that. And she also has a perfume that's a favorite of mine that also is uh, pleasurable to, to enjoy the fragrance of that perfume. Today, we want to talk about a fragrance that is much more important. We want to talk about a fragrance that has eternal value, but it also has present enjoyment. It's a fragrance that ex exceeds all the ones that I've mentioned or all the ones that have come to your mind as your favorite. It's a fragrance that the Bible speaks about in a very short little psalm that I just enjoy always to read it, to share it. It's Psalm 133, and I'd like you to turn there with me today. Psalm 133. The fragrance that we're addressing this morning is not the fragrance of lilacs or roast beef. The fragrance 
of Christian unity, oneness, harmony that believers have with one another. This is a psalm of David. Now, David undoubtedly had his fair share of conflicts. We know that as we read through the Old Testament that he had difficulties with a number of different people sometimes having to flee for his life. He knew what conflict was all about. But in this particular psalm, he writes in a beautiful poetic form and uses imagery to describe something that brings great joy and pleasantness to the heart, and that is the unity of God's people. Verse 1, behold, Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life evermore. The subject is unity. And in the first verse, he gives us the information that unity has a goodness to it and it has a pleasantness to it. Derek Kidner, an Old Testament scholar, writes in his commentary on this passage that the word pleasant carries the idea of pleasant to the senses. Uh, our senses enjoy things that bring refreshment, bring enjoyment, bring that pleasantness. Things that we hear, things that we see, things that we touch, but also things that we smell. And this is the idea that he has here because of the imagery that he uses. We find that he uses imagery in verses 2 and 3 to describe the pleasantness of unity, of oneness, of harmony between Christians. The first point of imagery is the oil of Aaron. When Aaron was anointed, he was not anointed with just a small little portion of oil that maybe was put on his forehead. Rather, it was a large portion of oil that was poured over him to the degree that it flowed down his hair, into his beard, down through his beard, onto his garments, down to the bottom and to the edge of his garments. It was a good dose of oil. But if you look into the Old Testament, and you read about the recipe of this oil, it's significant. Let me read to you. From the book of Exodus, as I read chapter 30 on the description of this particular oil, God's command to Moses, and he said, Take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels worth. And then 250 shekels worth of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and then a hin of olive oil. You shall then make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art 
of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. The emphasis of the oil is not its texture, but its fragrance. It was the perfumer who masterfully put this recipe together as God instructed it. The anointing oil of Aaron was a sweet-smelling oil. And David says that the unity of God's people is like the fragrance of Aaron's oil. And you can imagine that this much oil being poured over his head in his anointing, that those at least that were somewhat nearby, that this particular fragrance, this sweet scent, would have permeated into the nostrils of the people. And they would have taken in enjoyment and pleasure and how pleasant it is. And David said that's what unity does for the heart. What this type of fragrance does for the sense of smell, harmony, oneness, love, does for the hearts of God's people. The next point of imagery that he uses is the dew of Mount Hermon, or Hermon. This mountain, of course, snow-capped as you saw, as the northern winds would come across and hit on the top of that mountain, it would capture the moisture on the snow-capped mountain, and it would bring it down then into the dry and the arid plains. Now, if you've been to the Middle East, and I have a number of times, you get a whole new perspective of what it means to be dry and arid. <coughs> when we would see um, Bedouins taking their flocks of sheep and goats into the Judean wilderness, I remember us asking our professor when I took a course there, what in the world do they eat? It's just nothing but rock and sand. It's dry. There's nothing there. And he explained that in the Middle East and in Israel, it's not only rain that is desired, they are very dependent upon dew. We depend on rain. They need every drop they can get. And that's why Elijah said to King Ahab, there will be neither dew nor rain. Those in the Middle East realize the importance of dew. These sheep and these goats, they would eat this. If the dew came over the land, there would be almost microscopic growth that took place upon the stones, upon the rocky land. And the sheep and the goats, with their bottom lip, scrape that. And that's where they're getting their nourishment. It's hardly visible. I've taken ten trips to Israel, and I've only seen it visible once. Just a light green hue over that desert plain. But that's how they feed. And David said that unity is like the refreshing dew of Mount Hermon. It's, it brings life out of deadness. It brings uh, refreshment from that which is parched 
and dry. The unity of God's people, described as the dew of Mount Hermon and the oil of Aaron's beard. It's renewal. And the source of it, as we find in the message here, is from God himself. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This type of unity and oneness is not self-created. It's a blessing from God. It's something that he has given to us. And he can pour out among us. Scripture is clear that we do all we can to preserve it, facilitate it, and even increase it. But Jesus, even on the night before he was crucified, prayed for the unity of his people. He not only prayed for the unity of the apostles, but he said he also prays for those who will believe their message, which is us. Oneness, harmony. Jesus prayed for it, that it would come from God. That he would send down the blessing of the fragrance of unity and the enjoyment and the renewing life-giving dew that harmony brings. You know, when Jesus prayed this in John 17, he also prayed about truth. Truth and unity, according to God, go hand in hand. It's not real unity when it's anything goes. Any belief system matters. Don't worry about what you believe, let's just all love each other. That's not Christian unity, and it's not real unity. It really doesn't happen. Somebody's going to get marginalized, and it's going to be the truth of God. But unity, biblically, and divine unity is wrapped in the garment of truth. As Jesus in that same prayer said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word, the Bible, he says, is truth. On the other hand, we must keep in mind that unity is not the opposite of diversity. God has made us diverse. We're diverse in a lot of different ways. We have ethnic diversity. We have diversity in our interests and talents and giftedness. There's various ways in which God's people are diverse, but they can still experience unity. In fact, even all the more. It was in Antioch in the New Testament era, as we find written in the book of Acts, that believers in Jesus Christ first became called, came to be called Christians. But if you study the text on that, they were not called Christians by believers. They were called Christians by the non-believers. That's who tagged the word Christian upon these people. Why? The context will show you that in Antioch, the believers in Jesus Christ were so diverse that the unbelievers could find no point of commonality among them except one thing. They were followers of Jesus. 
They had ethnic diversity. They had social diversity and status and financial ability. They were variant in numerous ways. And it caused the unbelieving world to scratch their head. What is it that unites them? What is it that they love each other the way they do and they care for each other the way they do and the enjoyment that they have of each other? And they finally got a clue and smelled the coffee and realized that it was Jesus Christ. And so they began calling them Christians. This last few days, my wife and I have been richly blessed by attending a live webinar with Dr. Tony Evans. I have so appreciated that man throughout the last decades and continue to do so even more. And in his address, I was struck by the fact of the importance of the local church. He addressed the issue of prayer, but in the context of corporate prayer, that we pray with each other and for each other. We all come from parched lands. We may come here on a Sunday morning with dry and dusty hearts, parched hearts that need refreshment. Hearts that need to take into their spiritual nostrils the pleasant fragrance and scent, the aromatic scent of oneness and togetherness to bring restoration and to renew hope. We're not alone. Evan said these words, in life we are not on a playground, we're on a battleground. People that are disconnected from the local church are actually disconnected from heaven. God seeks to bring his blessing to his people corporately. And as he brings his blessing to them and brings them into a unity, God's people find renewed strength and encouragement, renewed hope. And when they're one and together and there's harmony in the church and love in the church, everybody is a winner. It's worth fighting for, no pun intended. Replace complaining with commending. May we place, replace critical words with words of affirmation and appreciation. May we replace inflexibility, my way or the highway, with flexibility. May we replace our differences of opinion with patience, trying to understand and disagreeing in love and disagreeing on this or on that in a way that honors God. And rather than seeking our own view or our own way above other people, that we will sacrifice 
our way for the sake of others. I spoke with a pastor yesterday in Texas who shared with me how these things are dividing the church. Really? A piece of cloth is dividing the church. It's not worth it, friends. Sacrifice, patience, love. This is not only true in a church, but it's true in a family. A number of years ago, Patty and I were invited to one of our, my colleagues' home for dinner with him and his family. We've been there several times since. But I remember leaving that place and just, it was so overwhelmingly obvious how much that family loves each other. A bunch of kids, some of the kids are married, grandkids, and just the, the hugging, <laughs> the, um, the way they talk to each other. It was like going into a dining room with lilacs and the fragrance just permeating. But even more important than that. The book of Proverbs says, better is a dry piece of bread where there is love than a house full of feasting with strife. Interpreting that, better to have a crouton where love is than to be served prime rib with all the fixings where there's tension arguments, and sometimes even hatred. The beauty of oneness, the fragrance that it brings to our hearts, and the refreshment, refreshment and the restoration that it brings to our spirits as we live on this battleground. I heard of a church this last week from my home state that has so much conflict and historically has. They go through pastors like you and I go through paper towels. Pastors are in for a year and then they're out. And another one in for a year because the church cannot get along. It may have a wonderful building. It may have a nice organ or piano or a beautiful pulpit, but just like a beautiful golf course, the stench and the rank odor of conflict ruins the whole deal. We're beginning a church. God is beginning a church where his instruments down the valley in Woodstock, Virginia, are we going to bring the fragrance of Aaron's oil to Shenandoah County? Are we going to bring the refreshing dew of Mount Hermon to the parched souls of people? At Fellowship Bible Church, we experience unity here, but we're not perfect. There are those times... There are those moments, there are those words 
we're going to ask God to take our unity and increase it. As Paul says, I pray that your love will abound more and more. Are we going to be very guarding of what we're going to let divide us? There's a trailer out in the parking lot here. You can fill it with Lucky Charms and Campbell's Soup, all kinds of food items that are going to go to the most dangerous place in America, inner city Chicago. Hatred abounds there. It permeates the place. And smack in the middle of that war zone of hatred is a church called the Reborn Church. And as we are contributing food items and we have financially and will continue as God provides for years to come, we are contributing to a fragrance that can enter a dark place and an extremely parched place as that little church ministers and feeds kids and teaches them how to read and how to add that 2 plus 2 is 4 and starts reaching families and love abounds and you'll see that in the films how they're hugging and enjoying each other and the oil of Aaron and the dew of Hermon can penetrate inner city Chicago and we can have a part and do have a part. Bringing the fragrance of Christ. We have talked about a lot of things regarding the church in the past weeks. Today we talked about the fragrant church. The unity and oneness of God's people is the best fragrance of all. A unified body of believers in Jesus Christ. The fragrant church. Let's pray. <clears throat> As your heads are bowed, I'd like to just give you an opportunity to talk with God privately. To commit yourself if you are so inclined to do all that you can to facilitate unity including asking God for it on a regular basis as that he would shower that upon our hearts upon the Shenandoah hearts upon the reborn hearts take a moment and let's ask God to do that and how we can contribute to that and then I'll close this. Father, we commit ourselves to be the vehicles of the refreshing dew and the fragrance of your Holy Spirit to bring and to grow oneness so that the world will look at us and call us Christians 
and that our unity would be magnetic to bring others into the fold. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.